Are you free? Are you free to move around free persons in a free country? Yeah, yeah, for the most part, right? I mean, there may be laws that we don't like very much, but we are blessed with more freedom than most societies have had all throughout history. And men and women fought for that freedom, so we should be grateful. Is our country perfect? No, far from it. That freedom is not extended to all, sadly. But by and large, we're not on some government list because we came to church today. We can apply for jobs more or less wherever we want them. We can move around. So externally speaking, we're free persons. We may say that we are slaves to no one and imprisoned by none. And yet, I feel like we're all chained. We, we, we all seem to internally, at least, not be as free as externally we seem. And so we can ask, what are the chains that bind us? What is keeping us from the heights of holiness if we are indeed free, at least externally, as we just said? Right? We're free to live out our faith, so what is keeping us from doing it? There is no government that's saying, if you become a saint, I'm going to cut your head off. And yet, that is exactly the government that the first Christians had. And so what is keeping us? Well, we are indeed all bound by the same shackles and stuck in the same prison. And what prison is that? It's the prison of pride. Right? All of us have different sins that maybe we uh, tend to commit. Right? We have different weaknesses, and that's why we need one another to support one another. One person's weakness might be gossip, another one's might be lust, another person's uh, weakness might be that they're overly scrupulous, the other one is overly lax, and we kind of balance each other out. There's a certain beauty in the Catholic family that we can help each other with our struggles, but the one that we all seem to share is pride. And that's because pride is the root of them all. Now, the, the saint that would have been celebrated today on August 28th is St. Augustine. And Sunday is such an important day that it, it actually ends up um, uh, taking the place of whatever feast day would have been today. But I still think that it's good to turn to St. Augustine for wisdom today, especially with regard to pride. Because pride is the root of all sin, the chief cause of the breakdown of any relationship. It's the most effective recipe for frustration, anxiety, anger, sadness, and misery. So what does St. Augustine have to say about it? He says, What could be as great as the sin of pride, which overthrew an angel, turned an angel into a devil, and debarred him from the kingdom of heaven forevermore. Yes, this is a great transgression, the fountainhead and source of all transgressions. As it is written, the starting point of all sin is pride. Unless you dismiss this as something insignificant, the starting point of human pride is rebellion against God. This vice is no slight evil, my brothers and sisters. Well, some powerful words from a powerful saint. But they should be for us consolation. Because we know that so many of our sins are symptoms. 
and we can get to the root cause. So much of our misery, of our frustration with others and with ourselves has a root, and we can cut to that root. We, we can actually look at where these sins are rooted in our souls and invite Jesus' grace to go and tend to us there. So pride, that root of all sins, is a prison that we all share. And what kind of prison is it? It's actually solitary confinement. Because the sin of pride leaves us alone and in the dark. It traps us through isolation and through delusion. First, isolation. Nothing isolates me from other people more than my own pride. Because it turns other people into enemies or into threats, into obstacles for me and my plans. How often is it that we're just mad at the world, mad at the other drivers, mad at our family, at our co-workers, because we, we blame them for our misery? We say, I would be so happy if it weren't for my spouse. Oh, if it weren't for just the, the things that he does or the things that she does. If it weren't for my family and kind of some of the drama that we have going on, I would be so happy. If it weren't for my boss, my coworker, this person being in office or that person being in office. And we end up viewing other people as the reasons for our unhappiness. And there's pride at the root of that. There's this thought that they should exist for my sake. They should be here to serve me rather than me being here to serve them. We may have some of our insecurities actually be rooted in pride. Right? This fear of what do they think of me? What are they going to think of me? Having our happiness depend on their opinions and then we end up resenting them if their opinion of us isn't very good. Or ironically... We could even resent them if they think well of us because we look at ourselves and we say like, oh man, they don't know the half of it. I'm actually kind of a fraud. Like, they think I got it together, but they should see this or that or this other thing. Or we might resent the expectations they have of us. Maybe we did very well on a project once and now our boss gave us four more and we're like, can't he see that I'm so busy right now? And so other people end up being, feeling further and further away from us the more we are in the grips of pride. It isolates us. It makes us think of just ourselves and our own problems. It closes us off from empathy to be able to know what other people might be thinking or feeling or needing from us. And instead we just think of how they are letting us down. They are not asking us how we feel, what we need. And we drive them further and further away from us and enter that solitary confinement of the prison of pride. Then, of course, the other aspect is delusion. And that's where pride does its nastiest work. Because it deludes us into thinking that we are the center of all things. And I hate to break it to you, you're not. Right? I, I get it. I get why you would think that, because you only see things from your point of view. Right? In your life, you seem like you are the main character, and in a sense, you are. But ultimately, the center of all things is not you. It's God. And that's actually an incredibly freeing thought. Because when you're the center, when you have to be the most important one, that's a lot of pressure on you. When you enter into any conversation and you have to be the one that's right, 
even when you know that you're wrong, but you just have to win the argument because you can't let them have this one. That's a lot of pressure to always be the smartest one, to always be the most important one, to always be the one that all the attention needs to be upon. And that's pride imprisoning you through the delusion that everything hinges on you. It ends up setting you up with these expectations of other people that they're never going to realize. You're going to expect them to read your mind. Guess what? They can't. I know that you feel like the main character, and so everybody should know what the main character is thinking. That's how it often happens when you're reading a book. You know what the main character is going through. Sorry, the other people in your life, they're not just role players who somehow have that perfect insight into what you need. You've got to actually tell them if you want something. You may have these frustrations that they don't understand just how hard you're working, just how difficult you have it. Well, they're never going to know unless you can calmly have that conversation. But pride keeps on deluding us into thinking that we can expect that of other people automatically. And then it feeds into isolation. We push them further and further away the more that we're let down by them. And then this is... Perhaps the saddest work of pride, it makes us turn on ourselves. Because if we are gripped by pride, we think everything depends on us and we have to be perfect. We have to be the strongest and the smartest and fill in the blank. And then we look in the mirror and we realize there's a lot of shortcomings here. This guy just isn't living up to this idea, this expectation that I had of him then we end up loathing the very person God told us to love before loving anybody else. Right? It's love God and then love your neighbor as yourself, so you've got to love yourself. You can't if you're gripped by pride. Because pride is not uh, loving yourself too much. It's loving yourself in the wrong way. It's loving yourself to the exclusion of others. It's focusing on yourself so much that you lose sight of even the love of God. You just focus on yourself And you end up focusing on those parts of yourself that actually you hate. So pride is a prison. It is a prison that we enter through isolation and delusion. And how can we be set free from it? (laughs) Right? I I don't want this to just be a downer homily like pride is bad and then I sit down. No. In fact, we have a way out. God doesn't want us to be prisoners enslaved throughout our entire existence. No, he wants to set us free. And how does he do that? Well, first he gives us words of encouragement through Psalm 68 that we read through today. He says, God gives a home to the forsaken. He leads forth prisoners to prosperity. That's you and I. We are going to be led forth to prosperity out of our prisons of pride. And how does that happen? It's a magical virtue, the ground of all the other virtues. I've talked about it before. You heard about it in the first reading. You heard about it in the gospel. What is the virtue? Opposite of pride? Humility, exactly. I'm not trying to trick you. (laughs) Humility. Humility is that beautiful virtue that St. John Vianney compared, as I've quoted before, to the chain of a rosary. He said that humility is to the other virtues as the chain is to the rosary. Take out the chain and all the beads scatter. Take away humility and all virtue is lost. Well, what does St. Augustine have to say about humility? He says, do you want to be great? 
Then begin with what is very small. Do you want to construct a lofty building? Think first of the foundation, which is humility. The more massive the building one has in mind and plans to construct, the deeper the foundations must be laid. And he loves that image of humility as going deep and building foundations, because elsewhere he writes, Observe a tree. First it makes its way downward, then it grows up into the heights. It sets its roots beneath in order to raise its crown toward heaven. Is it not truly founded in humility? So we need humility. It's that ground of the virtues. But what is it? Well, too often we don't like the virtue of humility because we think that it's just being self-deprecating. It's just saying bad things about ourselves. Or if ever we were tempted to rejoice in a gift or a talent God gave us, we think, oh, I can't do that. That's not humble. That's a false view. No, humility is not looking down on yourself but looking up to God, focusing on him rather than yourself. So it's not looking down on yourself, but looking up to God and seeing refracted in his eyes the reality of the situation, of who you are in his love. That's humility. It's an honest appraisal of the situation. It is recognizing how things truly are and saying, I accept this and I embrace this. And I'm going to focus more on God's goodness than on the lack of goodness in the world or in myself. And it sets us free. Because in that moment, we cannot be isolated. Because if we're focusing on God, we're drawn to Him. He invites us into His embrace. He ends up saying, yes, I get it. You've messed up, but also so have all the other people in your world. I get it. You're mad at Him, her, and everybody. But come to me. Let's talk about that. And the more that I look at His eyes, and I see there the love that he has for me and for other people, I can't push them away the same way that I did before. They cease to be threats and enemies and become brothers and sisters. Opportunities for growth and opportunities to receive the love of God. The moment that I look in his eyes, all of the delusions depart from me. I realize that I'm not the center of all things. He is, but I'm the apple of his eye. And he loves me. I might not be the main character in the sense that all the world revolves around me. I'm not the main character uh, to the exclusion of other people. Because guess what? Everybody sees the world from their point of view. Everybody feels like the main character in their story. And the only way that that can all coexist peacefully is if we realize God is the ultimate main character. He has a role for all of us to play. And when we, when we submit to his plans rather than forcing him to submit to ours, things click so much better. When I have the humility each day to say, Lord, you are God and I am not. And so I want to follow you rather than forcing you to follow me. So many of our frustrations, our anxiety, our worry, our anger, sadness and misery depart. Because we realize that we're in the care of a loving God. So, how do we grow in humility? We've talked about how it's an important thing and what it is, but how do we grow, grow in it? Well, first of all, we pray for it. And that's a dangerous thing to do because God answers prayers. And if you ask for humility, he'll, all, he'll often deliver it, but his favorite vehicle is humiliation. And we hate that. 
Right? I can't think of a single person who loves being humiliated, having an embarrassing slip-up, realizing in front of people that they are weak. And yet, that is sometimes the greatest grace God can give us. In fact, I'm convinced, one of the greatest graces this side of heaven is when we can be embarrassed and not have sinned. When we get to, get embar- oh, when we get to receive humility without having incurred any guilt. That's a great gift. We don't see it that way, though. We see it as, oh, God, you've abandoned me. How dare you? I look like a fool in front of these people. When, in fact, he's trying to let us escape the prison of pride. So pray for humility every day, but realize that it might come through humiliation. So brace yourself. A beautiful prayer for humility is the litany of humility. Who here has ever prayed that prayer? The litany of humility. Okay, a few hands are up. That means the rest of you, you've got homework. (laughs) This week, look it up. Litany of Humility. And it is a wonderfully freeing prayer because it meets us where we're at. It realizes we don't actually, we're not even at the point of desiring that other people get more attention or affection or admiration than we do. Even though that's the secret to happiness. If I, rather than expect others to serve me, if I expect to serve them, I will always have opportunities for that. If I expect them to admire my brilliance, I'm going to be frustrated, right? Because they didn't get the memo that I'm the most important one here. They didn't get the memo that I'm the greatest. And I might be just waiting for them to recognize it, or I can realize they may never know, but God knows me perfectly. He knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly. He has his eyes set on me in love. That's all that matters. And so I don't have to beg for everybody else's attention and affection. Instead, I can give them some of mine. Because my cup has been filled by the Lord, so I get to fill theirs. And the Litany of Humility expresses that beautifully. Because the refrain is, Lord, grant me the grace to desire it. It's basically saying, Lord, help me to desire humility because I'm not even there yet. So we pray for it. And then second thing... We laugh at ourselves. G.K. Chesterton has a great quote. He says, The devil fell by force of gravity because he took himself too seriously, while angels soar because they take themselves lightly. And isn't that the case for us? When I take myself so seriously, oh, how dare he disrespect me? Does he know who I am? Oh, the whole day is ruined. How dare that person be going too slowly in the left lane? Don't they know I have to be somewhere? How dare this person get in the way of my plans? Anytime that I take myself too seriously, I fall. And I can see those shackles forming on my wrists because I am being imprisoned by pride. But you know what breaks those shackles? Just chuckling at myself. Even when I catch myself being prideful, to just say like, huh. There, I'm at it again. Oh, God, thank you for being so patient with me. Yeah, all-important Michael here. Thank you for helping me realize right now as being ridiculous. Or whenever we have some kind of embarrassment, instead of getting so many shades of red and thinking my life is over, saying like, huh, that is kind of funny, actually. If that happened to someone else, I'd probably be laughing right now. So might as well laugh at it happening to me. And then... We have this impenetrable defense against the evil one. He wants to cause us to fall through pride, but the simple thing of laughter at our own weakness ends up taking the wind out of his sails. 
So we pray for humility. We laugh at ourselves frequently. And then we receive Christ. At this Mass, every single one of us will. Some of us, through a Holy Communion, in that sublime union with Christ in the Eucharist, right? He has humbled himself to the point of becoming our very food. But even for those who don't receive him in Holy Communion, you receive his blessing. And that's a potent thing as well. So every single one of us at this Mass, if we are properly disposed, will receive Christ. And I'll close on this quote from St. Augustine about who Christ is and how, receiving Christ, we receive that humility we need. He writes, But what is Christ who cut down the devil? He is humility, the humility that slew pride. So when I say Christ, my brothers and sisters, I am drawing attention most especially to his humility. It was by humility that he opened a way for us. We had wandered far from God by pride and could not find our way back except through humility. Yet we had no model of humility to hold before us and imitate. The whole mortal race of humans had swollen with pride. Even if someone of humble spirit did emerge, such as the prophets and patriarchs, humankind disdained to imitate humble humans. To overcome their unwillingness to do so, God himself became humble, so that at any rate, human pride would not disdain to follow in the footsteps of God.